hear me. Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила? А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. My name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I am joined by a guest, and today, once again, I am joined by the delightful Lynn Seren. Hi, Lynn. Hello. Can't get rid of me at the moment. Sorry. <laughs> well, I may choose to release these out of sequence. Oh, that's probably a good idea. It will seem like people got a you know a healthy rest from your uh, dulcet tones. <laughs> so. As you'll be aware from that intro, Lynn's a regular around these parts. Um, but for folks just joining us for this first episode, this is just where you've landed. <laughs> Lynn, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh... You knew this was coming. <laughs> I just always assume because I've done this before that it will be like, oh, everyone knows now it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. I've known you for a long time. You've l- known me like... It just makes me feel so old. Yeah, um, like over... It's, at least over half my life. I think I think I was like 13 or 14. Yeah, it's got to be around that. So... Yeah. Good and now 20 I'm years. 30 mumble mumble. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we've done this a bit. It's nice. Mm-hmm. It's a good excuse to see you. Yes. <laughs> In these, yeah. By the time this goes goes out, who knows what the global situation Everything will, will, will be. Everything will be great by then, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, that, I, I I admire your optimism. <laughs> I really hope no one's listening to this thinking like, "Oh yeah, didn't see whatever has happened coming." Uh, yeah, th- those those were the good old days <laughs> of May. But yeah, so so about about yourself, Lynn. <laughs> um. Yes. What about me? I don't have anything interesting to say, really. Oh, come on. There are lots of interesting things. <laughs> I like watching films sometimes, but I'm not a film expert. Neither am I. So, you know, you're in good company. Or a Russian expert. I, I don't know uh, my academic again. qualifications. I think it was about a third of my of my history at A-level was on the Russian Revolution, I guess. That's it. That's more Russian history than I've done in a formal context. So Yeah, but I'm sure you picked up a lot more when you lived in Moscow. Well, and latterly I've been listening to a lot of... Um, I mean, goodness knows he doesn't need the uh, plugging, but Mike Duncan's Revolutions is very good. Oh yeah, um, I've only listened to the first series, but I didn't enjoy it. Because it was made, it was on the English Civil War, wasn't it? Yes. A period of history that I find particularly interesting. Yeah, it doesn't get covered all that much because we're so freaking Tudors and Victorians obsessed. So freaking royalty obsessed. Ugh. Long live the Republic. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't a great republic <laughs> as republics go, but... That's uh, that's true. Nice try. Um, <laughs> well, I think they I think they called it the Commonwealth, didn't they? Uh, they and, did. Know. Yes, they did call it the Commonwealth. Um, yeah, talking of books that and things that probably don't need plugging, but the world turned upside down is uh, a book about a lot of radicals during uh, the lead up to and the Civil War, and it's really great. Yeah, it's a lot of people whose groups and and. Uh, names of different verbs like the diggers and the quakers and the ranters and the levelers yes and the levelers of course yeah a friend of mine at uni was very much into like i don't know if they're still around it's kind of like kind of i guess like eco anarcho punk band called the levelers oh yeah that's probably totally the the wrong nomenclature <laughs> for them but they were like they were punk yeah and i look, think of them as like sort of like folk punk but i don't yeah. know whether that's very accurate either sorry level as fans so would that be abbreviated to funk oh wait that's already that's already a thing, a thing. can't that's have a different that thing. can't have that as a portmanteau <laughs> uh, no nilsia not allowed uh oh dropped in a russian word there it means it is forbidden or it is not allowed but anyway nilsia useful that is useful it's extremely useful. <laughs> I forget the exact grammar, but it can also mean something is impossible, and it's you use one kind of verb. Anyway, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to try and dredge that that up. But yes, so on this podcast, we talk about, as I said in the intro. Wow, this is going so well. It's fine. We what uh, do we talk about? <laughs> what do we talk the about? The English Civil War. Uh, English Civil War. False advertising. Uh, <laughs> because we just, you, you know, we just figured that a podcast about Russian films would be such a draw that that would get people in That's right. and listening. And then we kind of slap them upside the head with some surprise English Civil War. Yeah, we can talk about priest holes. That was a thing, wasn't it? Um... It was, but that's 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 more of a... Elizabethan thing, okay. so that's that's that is that's quite a few decades before. But I mean, they're probably still around in people's stately houses. Ugh, religious persecution, eh? <laughs> What's that about? This is like a, a very very bad comedy routine. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> that rich, rich comic seam uh, of of the persecution of, of minorities. Hmm. Yes, just giving myself fun in the edit room. Yeah, it's okay. Again. Just like to have lots of stuff you can cut out. <laughs> um. So, what are we watching this time? You sent me a link. I Was did it yesterday. <laughs> just to be like, here is a film. Okay, cool. I'm yes. Into it. So the film we're watching today. It's called, now, you have to promise no sniggering at the back because it is a possibly slightly amusing sounding word in Russian. Uh, it's Dilda. Oh, yeah, I see why. <laughs> that was admirable self-restraint, Thank you. Merlin. Well done. And that translates to beanpole. Okay, like a thing you grow beans on. More like figuratively to describe a very skinny, tall person. Okay. So this is a new Russian word for me because I had no cause to learn that one. <laughs> you knew no no thin Russians. Well, <laughs> I, I I knew I knew quite a lot of uh, slender Russians, but for for whatever reason they were never sufficiently tall and slender that I felt 
hmm, I need to come up with an equivalent of beanpole so that I can call them it, because that's the sort of nice, labelly person that I am. Uh, hope not. Um, right, so so yeah, the, this film is called Beanpole. It's, I think it's the second film by a director called Kantamir Bagalov, who is just, you know, obscenely young. He's younger than both of us, born in 1991, so... Already made two movies, Lynn. What are we doing? Uh, we've made more than two podcast episodes, so... We have. Uh, ignoring how much more difficult it is to make a film, <laughs> I think we're ahead. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Like, yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd say that checks out. <laughs> as long as you don't scrutinise it too clearly. and <laughs> At all. Don't scrutinise it at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, look away. <laughs> look at that other interesting thing just over there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, no one's keeping score. Life's not a competition. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> he's he's made he's made two films now. And uh yeah, so I'm actually a little bit apprehensive about watching this second one because the only thing I really know about the first one was that it was quite controversial because he decided to incorporate some actual, like, real-life footage from the uh, oh, 1999 uh, Dagestan massacre, where, like, jihadis executed some captured Russian soldiers. So there's, like, some of that footage is in the film. Okay, that is a choice. I'm assuming that the film is about this incident rather than just like, you know what would be great in my film? Horrific massacres. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's set in Nalchik, which is the capital of... Oh, I may have to do several runs at this. Um, Carbadino Balkaria. I think I got that right. So, you know how typically we just refer to... Russia as Russia, mm-hmm. and its official name is the Russian Federation, yeah. and we just kind of ignore that because it's like a boring-sounding official name. Well, within the Federation, there are like these sub-units where there's like a an ethnic minority that that's actually the, like the majority in that in that region. So, and you have a big cluster of these in the North Caucasus, most famous slash infamous is is chechnya but oh, yeah. the one i just mentioned carbadino balkaria i think i said it the same way i, both I mean times. you look you look quizzical to me but you know <laughs> infinitely more about this than i do so well and and the uh the listeners don't have the benefit of my supremely confident facial expression no that's true sorry just across. pretend i never mentioned that <laughs> but yeah anyway so so it's set in one of these republics and it's Either a next door neighbor of uh, of Chechnya and Dagestan, or it's pretty close by. So you kind of had quite a lot of unrest from, I guess, like the late eighties, and then uh, you know you had the two Chechen wars, and then like that part of the world. There's quite often like separatisty things happening like um i haven't been following the news very closely but yeah so that's very much like in the background of this film i think it focuses on a jewish family but there's like a kidnapping it's meant to be like super grim but at one point 
one of the characters and his friends watch this like this video of this so uh, i guess it's one of those kind of super ill-advised things that sometimes uh teenage boys do to be kind of like edge lordy like oh let's watch something really horrific because that's a good idea so i think that's kind of how it comes up but for whatever reason the director decided to use real footage rather than you know simulated so yeah like you said a decision so <laughs> knowing knowing that that's something that the director has kind of in his like initial calling card film i'm kind of like oh my goodness what's going to be in in this one and i don't know very much about it whatsoever other than it's set in the immediate aftermath of the siege of Leningrad in World War II. Okay. So that is modern day St. Petersburg. And if you're a little fuzzy on that bit of your World War II history, the siege of Leningrad was absolutely horrific. Like it was it was cut off from provisions and essentially I think over a million people starved to death. Oh. Just super horrific stuff and it's it's still quite controversial in modern russia because there's a debate as to what stalin's government could or couldn't have done to liberate the city earlier and so there's there's like a debate over whether there was a certain amount of like not bringing not liberating the city sooner because that was the sort of thing that Stalin we just want to do and you know to be honest the guy has a pretty pretty established track track record of doing horrible things so it's hard to you know put it past him but anyway yeah it's super controversial and I'm I'm expecting to you know to this this could be this could be a grim one folks yeah have you seen the trailer I have yes did you get a chance to yeah I watched it earlier this evening um to be honest like from the description on movie and the picture they'd chosen to represent it i was expecting it i was ex- i was expecting it to be bleaker than it seemed not that it mm. seemed like here's a happy-go-lucky fun times film it seemed like it Rainbows could be unicorns. pretty bleak but maybe not as bleak as i was expecting i don't know whether that's a matter mm. of like you see you have limited information you assume something very extreme and then you're like oh sure. actually maybe it's not going to be that extreme very like i like the filmography like the not the filmography the cinematography at least like very intense like saturated colors and and i'm wondering mm. whether that's going to be like the palette for the whole thing i think particularly when it comes to like war sort of civilians in war post-war kind of films where i don't know i just kind of assume a certain level of like sort of desaturated Kind of like everything's destroyed, everything's like dour. Kind of grey brown palette. Yeah, lots of like. I mean, obviously, usually there's lots of depra- deprivation in the film, and there may well be a mm. lot of deprivation in this film. But, sure. you know, that's kind of conveyed in the sort of deprivation of colour. Someone give me a film yeah, studies it's, degree. It's a very convenient shorthand, but yeah, the trailer didn't look that, like that at all. No, much more interesting like enticing i guess like to be honest yeah. when i first saw it initially i was like i do want to watch it because 
usually pick interesting films for this podcast and I like watching them with you. But um, yeah, I was like, ah, oh, this looks like I might be a film that you kind of tolerate rather than think it's... But yeah, having seen the trailer, um, which I suppose is the point of trailers, but I want to watch the film more than I did after so, just reading the description. congratulations, trailer company. You <laughs> made Lynn more excited yeah. about the film rather than even less. Yeah, and um, I, I watched it with my partner who I assumed would just be like, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but then she watched the trailer too, and again, she was like, yeah, okay, give it a go. Interesting. So, we'll see. I don't know whether I'll be able to persuade Carrie, who, you know, regular listeners will know from previous episodes, to watch this one. Although it is very much what she describes as, like, my kind of film, i.e. foreign and depressing. Oh yeah, it does look pretty depressing. But kind of impressing in a sort of intense way that might be more interesting than just like everyone is yeah, sad. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember like it, it, I watched it, the trailer like only like three or four days ago and such is like the haze of <laughs> let's say recent events. But yeah, I, I don't remember a ton in terms of like specific details. Like the one image that has stayed with me is a chap who has had one of his arms amputated like standing up on something and like flapping oh yeah uh, his whole arm and then his uh, uh, both both arms you know one of which is like partially amputated like kind of like like a bird's wings and it's kind of like whoa that's a, certainly a striking image um yeah the other thing i remember is people talking about wanting to have a baby or something but it was not clear to me from the trailer yes. who wanted to have a baby and for what reason Yes, actually, that yeah, that's that's coming back to me. I think the film focuses on two women as the main characters, and I think one of them may have had like some kind of traumatic injury that's rendered her like unable to have children. So I, I, I yeah, that's coming back to me now. But anyway, yeah. So those those are a possible spoiler. Seems like it's going to be intense. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope, dear listener, we haven't scared you off already. But uh, if you're still with us, uh, we'll do what we normally do at this stage, which is launch into the film. And uh, yeah, we have a word of Russian that we like to say. And Lynn, as a as a veteran of the podcast, you can remind everyone of what that is. Yes. Payakhali! have just watched Beanpole, directed by Kantamir Balogov. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you're pronouncing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think I may have flubbed his name on, on the intro, but it's definitely Balogov and not any other rearranging of uh, uh of phonemes. <laughs> but anyway, uh so before we let you know what we thought of the film, Lynn is gonna just give us a quick summary of the plot so if you haven't watched it yet there are going to be spoilers 
Many spoilers. Yes, spoilers be ahead. And also, if you haven't watched it, we probably flagged this in part one, but there's probably a... I'd put a moderate to severe content warning on this, so maybe have a have a look at scenarios to see whether this is something you want to you want to watch yeah the the trailer is deceptively uh benign <laughs> yeah <laughs> mild yeah so uh caution is advised i'll have to put a hefty uh content warning in the show notes but anyway so over to you lynn what happens in this thing Thanks. It's also time for some foley work. Awesome. Because <laughs> um, I'm I'm using notes. I have seven A5 sides of notes. Oh my goodness. Uh, I mean, they're quite. I, you can't see this, and Ali probably can't see this either because my webcam isn't very good. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. Hopefully, this does not take more than you know, half an hour or so. Uh, <laughs> I did say brief summary, but never oh, mind. Oh right. Okay. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> It's autumn 1945. Settle in, everyone. Um, <laughs> so World War II is over and we're in a hospital, which I initially thought was maybe a laundry. Um, but I was wrong. It's a hospital. It has um, a laundry. It has a laundry. Um, it's an important thing to have if you're a hospital. We start with our main character, whose name is Aya? Is that how you pronounce it? Probably Ia. Ia. Yeah. Okay, sorry. More of a long E, so it doesn't sound like the things on the, either side of your head. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so it turns out that she has a child whose name is Pasca or something. Pasha. Thank you. So I knew I was pronounced this wrong. Yeah, it's short for Pavel. I am really making a mess of your concise no, summary. No, no, no. You're by correcting my concise constant, summary. Constant interjections. But anyway. Right. Then we see some injured soldiers who are in hospital. And then Pasha's there... And then she murders him. Pregnant pause there for dramatic effect. I was genuinely shocked by this scene. I'm sorry, I'm coming, I'm ignoring the summary and getting off track. That's, that's absolutely fine. It's in caps. It's in all caps in my notes. (laughs) Yes. It feels like strangely deja vu to be discussing an upsetting murder of a child on this podcast it takes me way back to lady macbeth days oh i have other things to say later about lady macbeth oh, okay. but anyway right. uh you're right i was genuinely surprised and partly because i saw the trailer and thought this doesn't look as bleak as i'd imagined mm. it but yeah anyway then someone comes back to aya's flat and who is it it's someone we've not seen before but who looks a bit like a dressmaker and it turns out that she whose name is Masha. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good at this. Uh, it turns out it was her child. And then Aya claims that uh, her child, Pasha, died in his sleep. Plot point. Anyway, so Masha gets a job at the hospital and she really wants another child. Subplot. <laughs> uh, these, these notes are not good. Oh, yeah. So they're coming back to the flat. And then these two guys in a car, a fancy car, think, oh yeah, we should stop them because army girls put out. Um, yeah, essentially that's what they say. That's, yeah, that seems to be what the subtitles implied. In, in the film, I should say, not what people say about army girls, because I have no idea. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, that's what the characters in the film say. Um, 
So Aya goes off with one of them and Masha stays in the car with the other and they have sex and then Aya comes back and beats him up because she has assumed that he has raped Masha, even though it seems largely consensual. Yeah, if, if anything, Sasha is the more reluctant party. Oh, we should say that his name is Sasha, which I didn't notice until the very end of the film because I referred to him as Tyler as Carboy in my note. Uh, so... <laughs> He he looks a bit like Dobby the house elf. He does. He does look a bit like Dobby the house elf. Who in um, turn looks like another famous Russian. Dobby the cowboy. Dobby the car elf. Dobby the car elf. Um, what am I talking about? There's a subplot. Then we, we see one of the soldiers who is a quadriplegic in the office of the main head of department doctor guy uh, with his wife who he thought was dead. Or did she think he was dead? That wasn't clear to she, me. She thought he was dead. She thought okay, he'd been... That made more sense in the context, but it seemed like from reading the subs that it was the other way around. Yeah, well, in a war context, especially the Second World War, a lot of soldiers are dying and a lot of civilians are also being killed, depending yeah, on... Yeah, so I guess it could have been either way. Anyway, so she comes to the hospital or whatever, and then she's like, I have kids at home. Like, he can't be a father. He'll just be a burden to everyone. So... Then we see the doctor and Aya, uh, and the doctor's like, put him out of his misery. This will be the last time, I promise. Implying that it has been, there have been many previous times. Yeah, yeah. So then we see Aya uh, euthanizing this guy whose name is Stepan. But what she doesn't notice until after it's happened is that Masha is having a doze, or not a doze, because she's awake, on the bed next to him. This becomes important because Masha then confronts the doctor and is like, you need to sleep with Aya to get her pregnant so she can have a child, which will then be my child, because she owes me for my other child dying that I left with her because I was in the war. Yes, and also I am no longer able to have children. That is another important plot point that I've completely forgotten to mention, so... For whatever reason, she claims shrapnel. I assumed... I don't know. I don't know enough about shrapnel wounds, thankfully. The cut seemed, like, way too surgical. Yes. To be shrapnel. And it, it, yeah. But maybe, what do I know? Not a lot about anything, but especially about shrapnel wounds. Uh, so, I don't know. I didn't get it that it was that clear exactly what happened. The implication is that it was it was some kind of abortion. Oh, Okay. And then it caused her to not be able to bear children anymore. Yeah. Um, So in what I'm going to put out there is the most awkward sex scene since Irreversible uh, that I have seen. There may well be other awful sex scenes. (laughs) Because even, I don't know, (sighs) this is not a podcast to have a debate about whether this was rape or to what degree this was rape, but it felt very rapey. Yeah. Yeah. But the weird thing about it was that both parties, like directly involved, shall we say, are extremely reluctant. And the one person who is also present, and but is yeah, not... Yeah, so we should say Masha is there Masha because is Aya present. says that she will only do it if Masha is present. Yeah. It's very awkward, and which is putting it lightly. Uh, yes, and the Doctor is there... Because he's being blackmailed, so 
he wouldn't be there having sex if it wasn't if it wasn't like like literally Masha says I will um or I think he she gives she uh, she gives him a, a note from from Ia who's going to denounce him for for his role in killing the uh convalescing soldiers she's just going to let the authorities know that that's what he's been up to yeah, so we're faced with this very tricky situation. And then, uh, oh, Carboy shows up again. So Carboy shows up again. He does. And Ia is being sick. But then we discover a couple of things in the next scene. Firstly, that the Doctor has mysteriously resigned. And we've got a new head department. And that Ia is not pregnant. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and the nurse that she's talking to about this... It's like, well, everyone's traumatized and because of the war, and also you had sex with an old guy once. So, what did you expect? Yeah, um, but there's some ambiguity as to whether she was pregnant at all and she was having morning sickness, or whether she was, but then she had a miscarriage, and it's really unclear what the truth is. Yes, she certainly all but tells Marsha that she's had a miscarriage, but she doesn't use those exact words. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it wasn't clear to me which was the case, and I just thought uh, maybe it's unclear in the subs, or yeah. maybe it doesn't matter. But it's clear that she's no longer pregnant, if she was ever pregnant. So the dressmaker, who also lives in the same block, who we've seen briefly before, shows up with a new dress for Masha. And Masha is dancing around in it, and she looks like she's free and having fun, and then she kind of goes crazy, because she's been through a lot. So she's painting the flat with Carboy. Oh no, she's initially not with Carboy, is she? She's painting the flat green. Come back to that. So what is the point of that? She's painting the flat. Then they all sit around, Ia and Masha and Carboy, in great jumpers. <laughs> um, <laughs> Stalinist Russia seems like a pretty terrible place to live, but there's a lot of really good jumpers in this film. Solid knitwear. Solid knitwear. Um, That's what they say about Stalinism? I don't know. (laughs) That's not really the first thing that should be mentioned with regards to the atrocities of Stalinism. No, um, certainly not. uh, Anyway, so... But it is kind of like the old saw about uh, Mussolini as he made the the trains run on time, but less famous is Stalin made (laughs) everyone have nice jumpers. <laughs> exactly, but the knitwear was great, so there you go. Um Oh my goodness. <laughs> so Enough about my love of some good jumpers. So Ia still hasn't told Masha that she's not pregnant. So she goes to the doctor and asks uh if he's down to try again. And he's like, Look, this is a terrible situation. I'm leaving. Uh they're in St. Petersburg, right? They're in Leningrad. Yes. Okay, is that like, I'm living in Leningrad, why don't you just come with me? That would save a lot of hassle. Spoiler alert, she does not go with him. So Masha goes to Carboy, um, and then at the start of the next scene, I've just written dog, because there's a dog. <laughs> it's a good dog. Um, and it turns out they're on the countryside, and the Carboy has a fancy parents who live in a fancy house. It's a very uh, fancy house. Who, and again, don't know much about Stalinist Russia, Surprised they're not purged? I don't know. I took 
from the context that they were important party officials, which oh, is probably okay. how you end up. To I just be kind in, of assumed nice they were just digs like old that. aristocrats that had just hung around somehow. But that actually makes more sense, probably. Yeah, they tended to give nice houses out to people that they liked, which maybe makes the next bit weirder. I th- because his parents are very unimpressed by Masha. Yeah. Which initially I was just a bit confused by. I was like, why? Seems nice, whatever. Are they just like, she's not rich enough or not connected enough or not fancy enough? But then they're in a conversation around the dinner table um, and the mother starts questioning Masha about her role in the army. And the implication is that she was there in a support capacity rather than being like a rifleman. I don't know much about Soviet ranks. On the front line. And the other implication of that is that in order to survive there that she basically like prostituted herself and she says oh no i tried to make the best decision and try to get with people that were stable and not just sleep around and not just get with the highest ranking guy and like you weren't there and you wouldn't have survived and it was tough and you don't know what you're talking about and then i cried quite a lot during the scene uh, <laughs> which is not in the plot so i'm sorry i should have saved that for later um <laughs> then she just slags off carboy her own son. She's like, you should get out because he's a terrible person who will leave you. Which is ironic because out of the two of them, Sasha, Dobby the car elf, is <laughs> so horrible. He's a, he's, a, he's a very able actor, is uh, Igor uh, Shirokov, so he doesn't deserve to be just called Dobby the Carboy by I'm me. I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm so sorry. He's a talented man, but he is, he is slightly funny to look at. But yeah, out of the two of them, he is way more into the relationship than, than Masha is. Masha is kind of like, just about tolerates him. Yeah, there are moments where she seems like he's all right, but that's maybe not the basis for a long-term relationship if one person no, thinks they're mainly, okay sometimes. Yeah, mainly she's just happy that he's bringing the two of them food in their flat and then she's kind of more than happy to kind of like shoo him away. Yeah, and Ia seems to like kind of see through this and is like, what are you doing? Like, don't, like, you don't stop coming around here. Like, we don't need your food to survive. Yeah. I don't know whether that's true or not, but yeah, Masha seems to be much more willing to say like, oh, it's fine for you to come around, it's fun, we like seeing you, and by the way, keep bringing your food. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, but she isn't like, come in and hang out, she's mostly like, oh, I guess, come in if you must. Um. So then we go back to the city after this awkward conversation, and someone's been hit by a train, and someone describes him as a beanpole, but there's a fake out because it's not ear. Yes, we should say about ear, she is the titular beanpole, she is oh, yeah. very, very, very tall. Like, I would say she is. probably like about a head and a half taller than most of the male characters. She and looks a bit like Tilda Swinton. Yes, but even taller. Yeah, even taller and skinnier. Yeah. So it turns out she wasn't hit by train. Masha nope. runs back to the flat. And then Ia confesses that she isn't pregnant. And so isn't going to be able to have a kid for Masha and didn't work and that kind of thing. And then they cry together and then the film ends. Done. Foley work. (laughs) Quality summary and quality Foley also. Right. As we foreshadowed. I'm so sorry. And as you will have gathered from this discussion, this was not an easy watch. 
Not by a long shot. Oh, one more detail I should add in. Ia, our titular beanpole, also suffers from some kind of, like, catatonic episodes. Yeah, I took it to be, like, PTSD, but... Yeah, I I figured it probably was. Because we should mention she was also in the war. She was. she, She was in the same unit, which is where she met Masha. Yes. Well, this is the thing about the whole... There's There seems to be a little bit of an unreliable narration thing going on because the story we hear from the two of them initially is that they were, like, anti-aircraft battery gunners, yeah. which is, you know, a pretty common role for men and women to fulfil. And, and actually, on the Eastern Front, uh, women filled uh, a, a much broader range of combat roles than than women in pretty much any other army involved in World War II. So hmm. so yeah, that wouldn't be a surprise at all. But as we covered in the in the plot summary, it's implied that she was essentially like conscripted into like state sponsored sex work, which was a thing that happened to be honest, in on quite a few different fronts in World War II, so that's also quite a plausible thing to have happened. Um, but we're not sure which is true, or whether they're both true, or whether neither is true. Who knows? Not me. No. <laughs> Just to clarify, just case no. expecting that to be the case. And I don't think that the director is particularly like interested in necessarily spelling everything out. I think there was a lot of like reading between the lines to be done now describing the plot you could just from the list of events it would be quite easy to like characterize this director or this scriptwriter as like just a bit of an edge lord i don't know about <laughs> what you thought um yeah i guess just if you thought about what the yeah if you just thought about the plot i suppose that's true and you also sort of take into consideration what we discussed about his his previous film and the directorial choices he made with the actual like atrocity footage but i i don't know i feel like that's not giving him enough credit but um yeah i mean i can't comment on his previous film but sure i i definitely agree with you regards to this film i think it was much more i i it felt like a lot more depth and a lot more i don't know nuance or something and it somehow didn't feel as, like, I know, I guess there's things in it that could be considered to be sort of sensational or sensationalist or something. Yeah. Um, but there's very little in it that felt like that. Yeah, that felt, like, exploitative or... Yeah, I mean, even, like, the really awkward sex scene. I don't know, I felt like a more exploitative... I don't know. Would a more exploitative director have not cut away as quickly like it felt long like a long time but i'm not sure it was that long no but it wasn't like going oh look how sexy this is oh no no it was very much like (laughs) this is horrible yeah very much and yeah the crazy situations didn't seem like didn't kind of seem to play off as zany particularly it was like this is kind of horrible for everyone then yeah such a striking film to look at Yes. Like, I think it may well be, of the films that I've watched with you for this podcast, at least, like, the most just just beautiful, striking film. Oh, wow. Even more so than, than Tarkovsky. Yes. Although, 
my TV because a lot of the colours are so saturated, mm. uh, which I thought was just wonderful to look at and my TV could not deal with. <laughs> and like particularly like the bright reds and the bright greens, like I think my TV was giving up a bit and I'd like really want to see this in the cinema, like under great conditions with a proper, really like decent projector because... Um, I mean, I don't have an amazing TV, but most stuff we watch is like looks good enough. Sure, but yeah, it was struggling. Um. Yes, I I wanted to ask you about this as with your kind of background in uh, or long-standing photography hobby. I was going to say <laughs> this is like the colors are very, very, very dialed up. Yeah, very. It's all as like you said particularly the reds and the greens, but also I thought like the yellows and oranges as well. Yeah, it's a very warm, like it's a very warmly shot film. Yeah, a lot of like, yeah, yellow casts. and but almost in a kind of sickly way, like people look like kind of jaundiced. Dream. People don't look well. No, they don't. And, and I don't know. And again, this is, I mean, it's obviously set in a historical period and sure. I'm sure that a lot of the things in it are quite i don't necessarily think the specific story is like a historically accurate story but there's a lot of historical things that are based on but i don't i don't know would people like would people be painting their apartment that like bright bright green Mm. like well ever maybe because it's a crazy color to paint your apartment Um, (laughs) it's very dark it would make it very dark yeah it would but i mean like in the kind of days where people are like people can't get food like they can't get enough food but you can apparently get like bright bright clothing and bright bright paint and um like really intense stuff just really really great and obviously the contrast when they go to carboy's house and everything it's snowy and it's like everything is bright and clean like the dog is bright white and like the tablecloth is bright white and current was parents are wearing his dad's in like a white shirt his mum is i think in sort of blue she's like blue gray isn't she it's much more like yeah, down, I, I don't remember what she was wearing, but she does have very striking red hair, which Masha also has. Yeah, because Ia's very blonde, like very she white is. and very blonde, and they're all wearing white capes in the hospital. And Sure. Oh, yeah, such a beautiful film. I thought it was a very original colour scheme choice, because normally if you're doing a war film or a kind of aftermath film, the typical thing to do would be like washed out greys mm. and like... yeah, very much like what we saw in oh Russian Youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I think they kind of played on that in that film. Yes, but that was that was more of a I, I guess like more of a kind of nostalgia-y palette, whereas I'm thinking yeah. more of a kind of like ashen, oh, like colder, colder, like bleached out, like yeah. Because even with the Russian Youth color palette there was there was a warmth to it even though it wasn't a kind of i assume it was like a faded warmth. yeah 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 that kind of sepia ish kind of thing whereas this was kind of like like i said it's kind of sickly almost uh which you know yeah almost like too much color yeah where do we go from here i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i had ideas and now they're all gone there was a few things that you you said that you wanted to threads you wanted to pick up. Oh, the Lady Macbeth thing. I, right. Yes. I think I, the reason I don't mention Lady Macbeth is that that's another film that I thought was very strikingly shot. Mm. Um, it's not nearly as vivid, and the camera work in this is a bit more kinetic than Lady Macbeth, which like every frame was very static, like intentionally. Yeah. Like they'd set the camera up, and then they're just like, "We're gonna let the scene 
run and we're just going to leave the camera. Like, there's going to be no shots where the camera's moving. And if the camera did move in this, didn't it? Yeah, uh, I think it there's did. definitely scenes where it, there's plenty of scenes, most scenes it did move. The Now that you mention it, the other similarity with Lady Macbeth is that film had virtually no score. And I don't think this did either. It had some diegetic music. Yeah, I don't remember much music. Oh, it's making me go crazy now when you're second-guessing yourself. Being like, <laughs> well, there's, yeah. there's the music and I've just forgotten. Yeah, but I don't remember like the music kind of cutting in and feeling like, oh, well, this is the music pushing emotional buttons. It was all achieved by what was going on in the scene. And there's, yeah, there's a lot of different scenes that will stick stick with me for for various different reasons. But I don't know whether you wanted to go back to the smothering scene. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, it was shocking. And it was shocking because, I know, it felt shocking because you could almost see it coming. But you couldn't, you know what I mean? It's it's not really, it's not explicitly signposted. So the kid, Pasha, Pasha? Pasha. Thank you. Is like playing with ear. He's being like adorably... Annoying. Adorably annoying. Yeah, like he's just climbing on her and like, oh, he's woofing. That's what he's doing. Oh, that's he's, right. He's making he's dog noises. From, yeah. That's right, from the he soldiers this, at the hospital. Yeah, the soldiers in the hospital are playing with him and like teaching him the different animal noises. So uh, in in Russian, dogs don't go woof, they go gov gov. So he is going gav gav and climbing on beanpole. Um, and she seems to be taking this pretty well. And then she seems a bit annoyed. And then kind of what I expect to happen was it sort of feels like they're signposting it to be like, oh, she's going to turn around and hit him or something. Hmm. Like something that's not pleasant. But then she turns around and she's like, oh, come here, you monkey. And you're like, oh, okay. It's kind of a fake out. Like, it's okay. She actually really gets along with him and loves him. And it's great. And then they kind of go to the next room and then she smothers him to death. Yeah, I read that kind of ambiguously. Like, I didn't know to, whether it was on purpose that she was doing that or whether that she'd had another episode and just kind of, like, blacked out and just kind of smothered him. I think on balance, I think she did it on purpose. But It's interesting to say that because I kind of hadn't clocked that, but I think that is a valid reading of it because I just kind of assumed that she did it on purpose, but maybe she didn't. So, I mean, it's shot... It's shot in a way so they're kind of lying down. Yeah. He's like beneath her head, I guess. And obviously you don't really see details because it's a kid and they wouldn't film that. You just see his arm. You just see his arm kind of like grasping and it feels like it's for a long time. I mean, it reminds me of at the beginning of The Return of the King when you see a flashback to Gollum slash Smeagol, Andy Serkis, murdering his uh, his friend Deagle oh, yeah, in the, the river yeah. and it's just a similar amount of like this is it's drawn out and it's horrible and it kind of is yeah because really actually very little happens visually you know what I mean mm. like you said it's like the effect is because it's drawn out yeah and um, it's kind of like I don't know it seems like a weird thing to say like softly violent rather than like an angry Yes, I suppose it's different to the Gollum sequence in that that has quite a lot of anger in it, but it's yeah. similarly like drawn out and like, oh my goodness. I think the drawn out bit is also like that dawning realisation of what happens and you're mm. like, oh, it's not really going to... You're like, oh, what? Uh... Oh, that this is what's happening. No, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. 
He's just yeah, a that's kid. Because you draw, you draw it out, and there's so much space to be like, don't do that. Like you have yeah. time to not do this. It's not a sudden. You know, it's like a film with a sudden gunshot or whatever, where you're like, well, it's too late now. Yeah. You did the thing and you've shot yeah. them and there's, you got to deal with the consequence of that. Like you had, she had plenty of time to stop. I mean, whether she could have chosen to, because like you said, I don't know whether she was having an episode or not. Or whether she did choose not to. I don't know. Yeah. I think the element of ambiguity probably helps yes. the film. Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems like afterwards she doesn't, I don't know, it's hard. She doesn't, it definitely doesn't seem to think it was great. Mm. and she never kind of does she ever confess to it I don't think she really does does she she never really confesses that she killed him she sort of like tacitly kind of claims responsibility for it a bit yes but more in like a general he was under my care and he died but yes because initially when Marsha and Ia discuss it Ia kind of implies that it was something that was war related um like she doesn't go into details but yeah the implication is oh it was it was it was because of the war that's why he didn't survive rather than like well certainly not that she murdered him or that it was due to negligence and masha kind of accepts yeah it was horrible lots of people died i don't blame you yeah whereas later she acknowledges that she was somehow responsible because I, I don't know. I think a more predictable ending would have been that she finally like confesses to Masha that she killed him. Mm. And I think by the time it got to the end, I'd kind of forgotten about that. But I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, I see what's going to happen. She's going to not tell Masha, and then there's going to be a lot of faff. And then at the end, she's like, I killed your child. And then Masha kills her or something. I don't know. Yeah. It resists that sensationalist it def- ending. It does. It does resist that sensationalist ending. Um so I was grateful for that. Um, like, all the performances are great. Oh, yeah. The Doctor's really good. Even though it doesn't get given that much to do, like, really makes the most of, like, this whole kind of... Because he's an officer of some kind. Well, he's a Doctor, but he's in the military. Yes, yeah, only judging from. by his uniform, yeah. And sort of holds himself with that kind of professionalism. Um I mean, civilian doctors also have profession- that professionalism of a doctor, regardless of yes, their standing and that kind of restraint. There is a very like kind of boot clicking, sort of stiff back posture kind of thing that you tend to more associate with the military than <laughs> with the yeah. uh, with medical professions. But then after like he quits or whatever, after he's blackmailed, like there's a there's a there's a total like. There's a certain sort of brokenness that really, like, is impressive. Yeah, he he gets a lot more kind of scruffy and downtrodden, doesn't he? And it and it's done in a way that seems really well played without it being like, I was very formal and now I'm completely broken and a bit of mess on the floor. Like it it reads in these kind of, like, trying to be one thing and accept you know, accepting actually the years of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's kind of fraying slightly round the edges because the way I'm describing it, I tend to. I do have a bit of a tendency to exaggerate, uh, but yeah, it's 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 as you say, it's fairly subtle. Yeah, I mean, I can't. It seems silly to go through every actor and say like, aren't they great? But <laughs> I can't think of anyone that I really thought was not great. Maybe other carboy, but <laughs> I, I mean, he's, he he's had barely almost in it. nothing to do other than to be just a bit sleazy. He's he's not bad. 
he's fine. He doesn't have that. I'm just trying to think of anyone that I just thought like, oh, they're fine. Um, <laughs> when he's introduced, you assume he's going to be more important than oh yeah, he definitely. Is. I thought two either we'll never see these people again or we'll see both of them again. Mm. And of course, yeah. we only really see one of them again. The other guy just kind of is off sleezing it up somewhere. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> I definitely don't know what his name was. Oh, I don't remember either. Carman. He looks slightly older than the other guy. He looks slightly <laughs> older than Carboy. Um, don't know. I'm sorry. I'm whittering. I'm looking in the credits, and it the way it has it on Letterbox is literally just Sasha's friend. So, oh really? Okay, doesn't even get a proper name. <laughs> and sorry, I've been correcting you on uh, on the child's name, and I think he might be credited as Pashka, which is a variation on Pasha, which is itself a diminutive of Pavel. So sorry. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to take your word for all of this. He has a great... He's another character that has a great jumper. Yeah. If we're counting off... Yeah. Jumper characters. Another guy with a great jumper. You can tell that the car... The car boys are up to no good because neither of them have great jumpers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to write a film paper about <laughs> how it's all about the jumpers. Hey, um, this is this is a mark of Kantamir Balagov as an auteur, is he signifies everything <laughs> through the sartorial choices. Well, I've rewatched bits of Room 247 the other day and they were talking about the kids' Apollo jumper in... Because it's all... Have you seen it? I don't even know what it is. It's a documentary about a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about The Shining. Oh, oh yes. No, I have heard of that. I've never seen The Shining somehow, so... So one of the theories is that it, it was like Kubrick's confession that he faked the moon landings. <laughs> I think I had heard that somewhere, yeah. So, that's insane. Um, but the kid in The Shining, at one point in the film, wears a, like an Apollo rocket mm. jumper. Which oh, is great jumper. okay, right. And that right, is right. like part of this theory. So that's, anyway, I was tying in. It's... Don't you remember back to those times where conspiracy theorists were just kind of like harmless fringe oddballs that you that were kind of like, oh, huh, that's kind of stupid that someone believes this seriously, but we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, those those were the good old days. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I couldn't possibly comment. Um, <laughs> so, but it's it's an interesting film anyway. If you feel like watching oh, a documentary yeah. of people espouse like Definitely. too much, but then there's just odd bits in it where you're like, oh yeah, that does kind of seem to be in it, and then it's confusing. Like, there was genuinely a scene where they're like, oh no, Stanley Kubrick like put his face in the clouds in the opening scene. And the first time I saw it, I was like, no, he didn't. And then you see like the freeze frame of it, and you're like, oh, yeah, actually, maybe he did. Mm. Um, and that doesn't mean, like, maybe he did because he was bored and was like, you know what would be cool? My face in the clouds. I don't think that means anything. Like, no. I don't think that means that the whole thing is a metaphor for how Stanley Kubrick is God. Uh, <laughs> but maybe it is. I don't know. Um... <laughs> So I'm sure we can all read into these too much, but the whole jumper thing in Beanpole is definitely true. <laughs> Out here now. I look forward to the interview where the director confirms this. <laughs> yes, we will, we will, yeah, eagerly anticipate that moment. <laughs> what did you think of the film? Um, Just generally. Did you enjoy it? What, did you like it? I admired it. I thought it was... I thought it was very good. It will certainly, as I said, stick with me. Enjoy is the wrong word, just because it was 
so frickin' bleak. Um, but that's a, a you know appropriate, I think, for post post World War Two Leningrad. You'd kind of yeah, would be odd if it was all uh, laughter and japes. But yeah, it yeah, it was very. I feel like. I feel like it deserves a rewatch, but ah, uh, I'm. It's probably gonna be a while. Um, <laughs> how about you? I get the impression that you also thought it was good, but I mean, would you recommend this to people? Yes, I want to go and see it again. I want to go and see it again now. I want to go and see it at the cinema because my TV can't deal with it. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Two Unfortunately, th- I hear there's a global pandemic on and I can't go to the cinema. And also, I don't know where I would be showing this film. Um, but I'm going to keep an eye out. Yeah, I think arty, arty art house. And one day, I hope to see this on a big screen because I think it's so striking to look at, mm. but not just striking to look at. I think it's compelling and solid great performances and... It's also really compelling to look at. And watching it on my TV has not done it justice. At worst, I'm going to have to persuade a friend of mine that has a much better TV than he wants <laughs> to let me go around his house and watch well over two hours of Russian cinema. Yeah. That may not happen. Because <laughs> <laughs> I also can't go around anybody else's house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh. I think I think the thing that impressed me was the fact that you feel you feel empathy for the characters even though often they're making choices that are really really not not the best choices but you you still feel you still feel sorry for them yeah. and you still feel like you know maybe if i were in their shoes that would you know i i could see how you would end up making those choices like i i felt so so appallingly sad for the the couple where he was as you mentioned he was he was quadriplegic and he just felt that his duty was to ask to be uh ask to be killed because i think he said you know i should be a father to my children they should be they shouldn't be parents to me, and I was just like, "Oh man, the like, the weight that like society or whatever puts on people that they don't feel like they are valued as a person, you know, and that they feel like that the inconvenience that they'll put people through is like more more important than their value as a as as a person." I just that was absolutely heartbreaking. I don't know. I find it difficult not. This seems stupid. Like I'm not a person that I'm not a person that like never cries at TV or cinema. But I'm not someone that cries very often at like fiction, particularly. Mm. And I feel like it's hard. I find it hard not to like recommend a film that I like actively wept at. During. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so bad. Is that a bad way of like rating films? And and obviously that comes with the caveat that if what you want to do is sit down and watch a fun film that's japes, <laughs> this is not your. This film. is not that film. Um, <laughs> We'd point you in in the direction of something like Ivan Vasilievich changes profession, which uh, you should also watch because it was surprisingly funny. <laughs> 
I had low expectations for that film, and I'm glad that they were greatly exceeded. Excellent. <laughs> um, and talking of time travel films, today's mm. the day that there's the first Bill and Ted three trailer. Oh, you are you are you are dating that dates this. this. You are dating this. this you are dating this. this. It is it is no longer evergreen content. How oh, dare no. you? I mentioned the lockdown as well, and obviously by <laughs> the time did. this gets released, everyone will have forgotten about COVID. Yes, it will. Eh. Mm, yeah. <laughs> no one will ever mention it again. It is... I mean, I don't want to compare the magnitude of the admittedly appalling stuff that we're going through now to, you know, a World War Two city that's come out of, like, mm. a multi-year siege. But, yeah, it is... It is weird watching a film in a context where like yeah everything's horrible and people are not nice but anyway sorry i don't know what my point was there but it was (laughs) no i I guess that's been i guess that's been to date this podcast again it's been an interesting part of interesting part of like lockdown and stuff like and even hearing other people talk on podcasts or radio things like about what entertainment they've been mm. watching. I don't know, it kind of feels like it's split between either want to watch stuff that's either very trashy or An light-hearted. Escapist. Yeah. Or watch stuff that's like kind of serious and emotive and Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't really feel like watching stuff that's between those. Mm. I don't feel like <laughs> watching stuff that's like serious but not that serious. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to imagine what 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 kind of falls between the two stools. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Neither escapist nor serious drama. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moderately serious. Yeah, I think I mean like drama and stuff, but it's not. That maybe it's just not that good. You know what I mean? <laughs> like stuff that's, you know, but that's not that's not bad enough to be just like trashy mm. and escapist. Gotcha. Yeah, it it is weird because I certainly like never imagined myself living through something this grave that affected like the whole of society yeah, I think that's and so global i think that's yeah the thing that and everywhere so about it. because obviously like many many terrible things have happened in my lifetime but most mostly they've been a long way away or where they have been closer to home it's kind of like been a something like a terrorist attack where it's hmm. it's much more localized. it's a horrible day and obviously the people who are immediately caught up in it it has like lifelong repercussions and even like throughout society there are ripples yeah but it, there isn't like the same kind of like ongoing so the crisis continues and there's no end in sight which i imagine if you lived through either of the world wars was kind of like okay, I don't see the light at the end of this tunnel kind of thing. And yeah, this this going back to the film, obviously the war is over, but it does feel like, like I don't know whether in Leningrad there was any euphoria that the war was over or whether it was just like exhausted relief um, because of just, you know, how horrific it was there. But by the time we're in the film, it's, there's, if there was any like sense of like joy, there isn't. It's all gone. It's just 
just get through another day kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, you do have like that one, as you mentioned, the moment with Masha where she's dancing and she seems like she's enjoying herself in the moment for a minute and then it turns into like, it's hard to say what, what the emotion is she's feeling, but she's clearly losing control. I've killed the conversation. <laughs> no, it's interesting. And it's interesting because it provides like that backdrop of the war being over and there being food mm. shortages and obviously a lot of people that have come back physically and mentally scarred by it. Yeah. Like, those are important to the story, but they're not the whole story. Mm. Um, and kind of like you were saying about, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't have that like color palette of just things have been destroyed and it's all cold and gray. I think similarly, it doesn't have that, that like the deprivation, I guess, of the post-war years is not like it's part of the story, but it's not, that's not the plot. Mm. Like they struggle for food or whatever, but the plot is not, oh, we're starving for food and what are we going to do about that? Really? No. Like that's, it feeds into it and the context is important to the story. Yeah, but it's not front and centre in an obvious way. Exactly. Yeah, I thought the, I don't know, I think it's the very last line where Marsha and Ia are talking and Marsha talks about like maybe adopting a child and that it's going to be both of theirs. Yeah. And that the child will heal them. And you just kind of think like, wow, what a burden to place, you know, on on the next generation that basically they have to grow up with people who've lived through this horrendous trauma and are bearing those psychological scars. And yeah, how does that kind of echo onto the onto the future? It's yeah, it's just quite a question to leave hanging in the air at the end i think you're right and i imagine particularly in situations like that there's no there's like there's not there's no magical cure no not at all and that yeah that takes time and effort and love but yeah you can't put all the burden for that on somebody and it seems absurd like they're laughing and crying about it yeah like they are aware that just adopting a child or whatever is not gonna like, but you want hope. At the same time, you want hope, and you think that this might fix it all. I I don't know. It does feel like it's it's maybe clutching at straws. Yes, yeah, it does. But if that's what there is to clutch at, that's probably what you'll do. I feel this has got more deep <laughs> at the end of this. <laughs> Deep, maybe that's not the word, I don't know. Serious. But I mean, it's been... That's what this film was brought out in us. Yeah. Well, I mean, I try and, you know, leaven things with flippancy, but... Uh... <laughs> and I appreciate that about you. <laughs> it's, it's a coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah. Not least because I, for whatever reason, choose to fill my free time with depressing art. We need it. We need it, Ali. We need this art. Yes. And it has to be depressing because uplifting art all the time, that just won't cut it. <laughs> just won't cut it. And plus, are there any more comedies? Have we? Have you covered every comedy? Every Russian comedy has been covered on this podcast now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid they only made three. 
<laughs> that is that is an appalling, mean, mean stereotype joke. Dear Russian listeners, I don't believe it for a minute, but you must know that you do have a certain kind of image around the world, let's say. <laughs> Blame your writers. Blame your writers. Oh, which seg... What, you mean if all the, all the, the really great famous Russian authors weren't all so serious? Why so serious? This reputation that happened. Sorry, I can't believe I did that. Um, but... <laughs> You're hijacking my brilliant segue to my pretentious thing that I was wondering how I was going to crowbar in and I had the perfect opportunity and then it was ripped from my hands. (laughs) Did you say we're going to watch War and Peace at some point? Because I heard that one's uplifting. It is, but it also has its sorrows and bleakness as well. But yeah, it's it's certainly not as kind of unrelenting. The thing I was going to say literary-wise, was the tone of this did kind of... Rem- I mean, it's it's probably a, like a facile comparison to make because, oh, it's Russian and it's depressing, therefore Dostoevsky. But that was kind of what it <laughs> brought to mind in terms of like the... I guess like the unflinchingness mm. of the, okay, you're going to stick in this awful situation for longer than is comfortable i'm not just going to give you a like you know i'm not just going to say oh well this is what happened and then move on it's there is a kind of dwelling on things i don't think that it's it dwells on it in an exploitative way but it's still like a okay we're going to stay here long enough for you to feel this and i think that's a bit of a dostoevsky thing and the other thing was that I thought because it's set in Leningrad slash St. Petersburg, I wondered whether having a character who is quite a misfit and who also suffers from like blackouts or like fits or episodes of unconsciousness, whether that was like a deliberate allusion to the idiot's central character Prince Mishkin, who also suffers from, at least in the translations I've read it, they're described as epileptic fits, Hmm. but he loses consciousness and this uh, is like an ongoing thing. And apparently Dostoevsky himself suffered similarly. So in some ways it feels like, well, maybe that's too straight a line to draw between those two things and just going, oh, well, you know, Russian, he'll he'll think of this but yeah just it's something that occurred to me and made me think you know was it inspired by that or is it just a coincidence so send your theories as to whether i'm right or wrong (laughs) whether there's anything to this on a postcard to the postal address which i will not be putting in the show notes (laughs) respond tonight united kingdom (laughs) see how far it gets you yeah yeah um (laughs) You've given away what country you live in, Ali. Uh, I, I sorry, think, I think that, cut that out. I think that's somewhat implicit for the accent, but I've lived other places yeah, and still sense. had this accent, so... <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. Where are well, you? Well, I've specifically said that I'm based in Milton Keynes, so... Oh, okay, so you've already narrowed it. I you have. can add that to the postcards. Yeah. <laughs> the Russophiles Unite Towers, Milton Keynes. <laughs> the United Kingdom. Oh, no, Kingdom. given away that you live in a tower. <laughs> Well, figurative towers. <laughs> figurative tower. The Roosevelt's Unite Bunker. 
<laughs> the Cold War bunker of Reese Files Unite. Yep. So wrapping this up, yes. do we have anything to do you have anything to recommend? A, a lie down and a stiff drink. <laughs> have a lie down and a stiff drink, listeners. If, if you uh, if alcohol is something you partake in, no judgment either way. So uh so before we wrap this up then, Lynn, is there anywhere that uh people can say hi to you online? Uh I guess you can find me on Twitter if you fancy it, at Setchkopf. I keep meaning to put together a website or something for some of the stuff that I get up to. So maybe that'll be up by next time. So next time I'm on this podcast, I'll let you know. I'll get Ali to tweet it because he's much more active on Twitter <laughs> than I am. Yes, unhealthily active on there. Um, <laughs> Actually, you could also direct. I could also direct people towards your creator profile on podchaser.com where you can yes. find your other podcast episodes that you've been on because recently you've been on another show. Uh, yeah, I achieved my dream of being a contestant on Doctor Game Show. Not just it was contestant, great. also Banjo Lord. <laughs> I got to play along to a theme tune. If you don't listen to Doctor Game Show, it's very, very silly, but it's wonderful. And the people who host it are wonderful. Yes, I was dunked unceremoniously into uh, <laughs> into Doctor Game Show when you said that you'd been on, and it's 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 quite a trip that is that podcast. <laughs> it is one of the shows that I think I get the impression sometimes that they would rather it didn't have a lot of backstory and in jokes and people referencing things that happened on previous mm. episodes, but it does have a lot of that. So. Yeah, just you've got it's it's the kind of thing you've just got to enjoy it and let it wash over you. Yeah. Until you just start laughing at things. <laughs> yeah, that was that's a very good description of my experience was kinda of like Okay. <laughs> okay. Um And then I yeah. started kind of like just more and more giggling as the thing went on. Just it's just very <laughs> I don't know, it's very Dry. It's family friendly. It's, it's family friendly. It's kind of surreal. Yeah, it's like slightly surreal. So the, the premise is just that they accept submissions for games from listeners, and they will play them regardless of how good they are. So yeah, that's the dynamic, really. I, I feel like I feel like we're duty bound to invent a game for them called Dobby the Car Elf. Oh, we need one called Dobby the Car Elf. I have yes. no we'll idea. Have to submit it. We'll come up with some rules yeah. and submit it. But anyway, this will make no sense unless you have listened to an episode of Dr. Game Show. So do that and then re-listen to this episode so that it makes sense in hindsight. I'm sure I'm sure you enjoyed us talking about this admittedly very excellently put together but depressing film. <laughs> I'm just going to look up what episode number it is. Uh, so it's episode 34 of their run on Maximum Fun titled Scrumptious. Sweet. They did say the words scrumptious a lot <laughs> too much i think too much too much for joe anyway <laughs> yeah uh so ali do you have any other recommendations any books you've been reading etc tv shows uh, what have you got? i actually have uh surprisingly enough a a movie because we're a movie podcast oh, to recommend it's called madeline's madeline as someone who loves madeline's i'm into it yes i don't think this is i i didn't see any uh like dessert connections <sighs> what a missed opportunity <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, it's it's directed by Josephine Decker, and it is the story of a sixteen going on seventeen year old uh, mixed race New Yorker who is um, it's kind of a coming of age story slash 
kind of she's having um having like mental health troubles and also getting very heavily involved with some experimental theater it sounds kind of insufferable and it's sounds kind of great yeah well it's it's kind of a hard watch but there's there's a lot more levity than beanpole but it's still definitely not an easy watch overall there is some super awkward stuff in there um and yeah probably check out the content warnings but it's uh, it's very very striking visually and the central performance by helena howard is just incredible it's well acted uh all around but uh yeah if she isn't like a big star in a few years i i it will be very very sad because certainly on the basis of this film she's uh an incredible actor so yeah highly recommended to go and search that one out all right i think we've probably said enough for one episode cool thank you yeah thank you lynn for for joining me once again so and thank you listeners for and thank you dear listener for for joining <laughs> us for this uh <laughs> This this tough, tough watch. Uh, please do let us know if you watch it or if you have watched it, what you thought and whether <laughs> anything we've said resonated with you <laughs> at all. But anyway, Das Vidanya, folks. Das Vidanya. So that's it for this episode. But before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovich and the highly skilled migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media, please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Okay, so a quick message before I go. If you're enjoying the Roos Files Unite movie podcast, there are a couple of ways you can help to cover the cost of running the show, if that's something you're able to do. The first option is donating roughly the price of a cup of coffee on our Ko-Fi page. The address for that is www.ko-fi.com slash Unite. The second option is by buying yourself a book from our bookshop.org affiliate site. I've pulled together a selection of Russia-related books that I thought looked interesting, and I've divided it up into sections to make it easier to find your way around. Whatever book you decide to pick up, 10% of the sale will go towards keeping the podcast running, and a further 10% will go to independent bookshops around the UK. To visit the bookshop, please use the affiliate links in the show notes to this episode. 
Alternatively, you can find them in the bio sections of our various social media pages. At the time of recording, our bookshop page is only available to listeners in the UK, but I'll let you know if that changes. Also, there is rusandsov.com, that's R-U-S-A-N-D-S-O-V.com, where you can get t-shirts, wall posters, coffee mugs and more with a Soviet and or Russian theme. If you use the promo code RUSAFILESUNITE, that's all caps and all one word, at checkout, you'll get 10% off and they ship locally in the US, EU and Australia. Again, you'll find the links in the show notes. That's all from me. Take care and stay safe. Holy work. Ha <laughs>